Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this February 11th, 2022. We are making our way at a breakneck pace into this new year that continues to be as bizarre uh, as, as the last couple. Um, we've, we've got to our, our, our lovely neighbors to the north up there in Canada. We love you. Praise God for you. And wow, you got some crazy leaders up there. <laughs> so um, you guys, you know, you, to, to, to think we have it crazy here in the U.S. when your own prime minister, president, whatever you call the position that Mr. Trudeau, well, I know what I call him, tyrant, uh, <laughs> basically threatening all of you with prison um, that, are, that are just concerned about your liberties. Um, you have our prayers and you have our support. But yes, this year continues to get more and more bizarre. And uh, I don't see any any signs of it stopping. Rich, it's it's getting weirder by the second. Yeah, here in America, uh, our, our, our blue state leaders are caving faster than a, a hurricane carving out the the beach a uh, beachfront property along Florida uh, you know it's uh, they're caving as fast as they can trying to save their sorry excuses for jobs in the election and upcoming elections uh, our own governor just decided oh yeah you know those masks I told you you absolutely had to wear everywhere yeah now we don't need those uh, no no I'm not I don't have to explain that our team decided that yeah uh, it's been it's getting crazier by the second and it's kind of a coin toss as to what's going to happen in the newspapers tomorrow. But we are still here. We are grateful to be with you, which, uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm grateful we are able to because I woke up with a raging headache at 2 o'clock this morning and it didn't stop till this afternoon. <laughs> so the Lord was gracious to finally let that go. Um, I'm glad to actually be here with my brother Rich. Um, but you know, we are, we are here. We love being with you guys. We love to be able to talk to you guys about the things of God. Uh, we are so grateful, uh, especially even with the last couple of programs that we've done. So many of you listened and shared those programs. Uh, we really hope that they were a blessing to you. I know of at least one, Rich, I don't know if I told you, we actually had a, a, a response on our, uh, our website, I wanted to say Facebook page, but our website, slavetothekingcom we actually had a comment because they wanted to make sure they got clarification because uh, we were talking about the love of God. And they were making sure that, hey, you are talking about people in Christ as opposed to outside of Christ, right? And like, yep, that was the whole point of the pro program. And they they were grateful for the you know making sure they got that clarification correct. But according to them, that was perfect timing so uh you know that was the, the lord's timing on these topics sometimes is, it continues to amaze me how how well he uses that for his purposes so rich uh, I, didn't, I didn't get the chance to tell you that in pre-show i'm so sorry uh we actually had uh just a a wonderful response on that and and praise god that uh, he continues to use this little program in the way that he does. So thank you all for listening and tuning in and sharing these things and talking to us and letting us know about it. And like I said, we are uh, we have a website, slavetothekeng.com. You can reach out to us. You can comment there. You can send messages to us. And it has all our uh, connecting points for social media, email, etc. So go check that out. Get signed up as a, as a follower of the page. Please, as we always try to remind you, uh, we are part of the Christian podcast community. Always recommend you go check that out. And you can uh, listen to a plethora, big word, plethora of a good Christian podcast there. 
And then just as a reminder, if you want to support this program in some way, you can go to our website, excuse me, I can't talk all of a sudden, our website, slavetothekeen.com, and you can find our Patreon page, and you can support us there. You can go to uh, doctrineandlife.co, and you can pick up a, a t-shirt with uh, our logo on it, helping basically promote the show let people know that it exists and that actually has we've actually had people tell us they wore the shirt people found out of asked them about it and it, it, you know they got them interested in the program so we are thankful very very much uh, that you guys continue to listen and you continue to share the things that we have and that you are supportive of not only our program, but so many others as part of the Christian podcast community. So uh, that that's I, I'm getting better. I, I'm really trying to make it really <laughs> short so you guys can actually hear a program and not hear me ramble for 10 minutes. So I'm getting better at it. So uh, glad to be back with you this week, Rich. How you doing, brother? Well, as always, brother, better than I deserve, but... I have to tell you, and I'll forewarn our listeners, <laughs> you probably will hear Chris fall out of his chair laughing when I share this. Oh, no. I'm better than I deserve, but something occurred recently that I don't think I did deserve. Um, as most of the listeners know, I'm confined to a wheelchair. I, I can walk just a little bit, but to get around through the house and whatnot, I have to use my wheelchair. Well, I accidentally ran over one of our cats. <laughs> and thankfully, he was not hurt, just in spite of the way that he, the noise that he made. But <laughs> he, he decided that instead of going around my wheelchair, he was going to just try to go straight through the spokes in the wheels. But um, like I said, <laughs> oh, he was fine. But... I did not know, and people will tell me, might tell me that I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, this cat is the smartest cat I've ever encountered in my life. And my wife has encountered, and she's grown up her entire life with cats, and we've had some over the years. But this has got to be the absolute smartest cat in the history of house cats, because I'm convinced what he did was completely on purpose. <laughs> we had a chilly night a few nights ago and I'm I was in the bed asleep all cuddled up up under my blanket and my quilt and everything else sound asleep and most nights I can I'll briefly wake up and I feel the cat walking across the bed because he usually sleeps at the foot of my wife's side of the bed up under her feet because he likes to snuggle right there and sometimes he'll actually lay on top of her and sleep well I felt him crawling across me, and I was thinking, okay, that's weird. He don't ever sleep on me. And then I rolled over, and, and I put my hand down, and I felt something wet. <laughs> and I sat up, and I realized the cat climbed up on my bed, on my side, climbed up on me, and peed. <laughs> and I am convinced he did it out of spite because he thought I ran over him on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear about how bad anybody's week has been unless you've actually had a cat pee on you while you were asleep. So I don't think I deserve that, but I'm still I'm better than I deserve. <coughs> well, I, I have always said I believe cats are minions of the dark one, and there you go. There's evidence right there. 
the reason I didn't tell you this story in pre-show. <laughs> oh man, uh, that's that's bad. That's really bad. I'm sorry, man. I'm so sorry. No, it's funny. Go ahead, laugh. <laughs> All right, now I want to figure out how are we going to transition from this into our show. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Andrew would come in along really well because he can claim to transition from one thing to anything perfectly well. <laughs> well no, I'll have to challenge him on that. At some point in time, we need to have a competition between me and Andrew when it comes to transitions. <laughs> but I, I actually have one. Regardless okay. of whether we're talking about big evangelicals or cats, someone somewhere always is going to try to seek retaliation against someone else for something they did or said. Boom. Boom. I love it. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a really good one. I like it. Which is, folks, he, he's, you, you can, can probably already guess, we, we are diving into probably nobody's favorite topic, uh, the, the big Eva um, topic, which is, there's a reason we're going to do this tonight, and I, and I hope to, I, this is not to sensationalize just how terrible the big evangelical uh, you know, machine is. Um, but rather to emphasize there are certain things God has instituted and certain things God has not. And there's a reason we need to recognize that and submit to God's institutions. So, And we will do this through the lens of Scripture like we always talk about Amen. and encourage our listeners to do. Gauge everything through the lens of Scripture. Don't take my word for it. Don't yep. take Chris's word for it. And surely don't take any big-name, oh, high-profile big personality, big big evangelical name for it, gauge everything through the lens of Scripture. Whatever they're saying, whatever they're doing, go to the Bible and read for yourself what the Bible actually says, because guess what? Even in tonight's subject, we will prove from the Bible that what is being done by or in the name of evangelicalism is unbiblical. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few different things that have happened over the last week or so. Really thought about just kind of concentrating on like one topic, but the reality is, and I, Rich, you and I were talking to some pre-show, the ever-evolving uh, issues that come up, especially through social media, which is where so many of these end up being reported, the attention span on these things is so fast. I mean, it's just... One topic comes up within a couple of days, another one comes up within a couple of days, another one comes up, and then we we might recycle to the first one and then jump to the uh, the sixth one. So what I thought would be helpful is kind of show a trend of what is happening with within what we would call pejoratively Big Eva. Now, if you don't know what that means, is let me let me start by kind of, kind of clarifying. You know, evangelicalism is kind of the broad term for. American Christianity at large, so to speak. I mean, there, there's a, lot, a large number of denominational and non-denominational entities that would exist within what we would call evangelicalism. Uh, it's kind of a distinct name from what was once called fundamentalism, and it, it uh, one of the characteristics of it was a more engaging engagement. I can, see you got me doing it now. I can't talk engagement in uh, in cultural issues. Uh, fundamentalism. I think you know, I remember Todd Friel talking about it once. It was kind of more kind of uh, in, uh, tightly knit inside, not not as concerned about trying to impact culture. Evangelicalism wanting a bit broader reach into the culture. 
Well, evangelicalism has kind of, kind of become a catch-all term. Uh, hey, brother. It, yes, go ahead. I, I like to add to the history of that. In the beginning, the term evangelical actually was supposed to apply to those Bible-believing churches and pastors that truly believed in the Great Commission, mm -hmm. in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, though, over the last 60, 70 years, it morphed into what you're now describing yeah. to where now any denomination or basically any religion that claims to follow Christ, regardless of how they define Christ, is considered under the umbrella umbrella of evangelicalism. Amen. Thank you for clarifying that. I appreciate that. So the reason that's important is to understand what evangelicalism is, is that within evangelicalism, you have a variety of denominations and non-denominational churches, and you also have a lot of parachurch ministries. Now, parachurch meaning they are not specifically under a particular church, okay? They are a ministry that exists outside the local church, outside a particular denomination, and they are a ministry that basically exists, theoretically, to come alongside the church and supply apologetics material, uh, you know, additional you know, books, speakers, uh, any kind of supportive, you know, information, resources, uh, videos, you know, that kind of materials that Christians can go and, and obtain more information and be better informed and better prepared to engage the, you know, their, themselves, their families, their churches, the culture at large. And so for a good example, a parachurch ministry that would be, that everybody would know, for example, would be Answers in Genesis. What is their focus? Uh, specifically apologetics re uh, revolving around young earth creationism. You have another parachurch ministry, which would be like Living Waters. What is their focus? Evangelism, you know, equipping Christians to be able to engage in sharing the gospel. So those are parachurch ministries, and there are a lot of them. And Hey, uh, brother. Yes, go ahead. Since you gave two solid examples, how about giving one really bad example like the Gospel Coalition? Yes, Gospel Coalition, one of our favorites that's going to get mentioned. Uh, Gospel Coalition is a, it's a website that uh, has a lot of writers, authors, speakers, uh, and basically they exist as a website, video site, uh, resource to equip churches and pastors, specifically theoretically, on the primary issue of the gospel. Now, when that first formed and, and it was uh, it was new, I think a lot of people were excited by it because, hey, here's this thing that's actually going to be uh, specifically about the gospel. Well, over the years, the Gospel Coalition has really less become concerned about the gospel and has really leaned far more left and has really been hypercritical of conservative biblical Christianity. It has been in, you know, it's even written articles about how such and such movie can talk to us about the gospel. I mean, they've just drifted you, more into cultural areas and more left-leaning areas. Go ahead. Would you say the Gospel Coalition is now a very good representative example of what we mean by American evangelicalism today? I would say so. I, I think it is less concerned about the, the, the fidelity to Scripture fidelity to the gospel message itself. It has definitely embraced social justice and things like critical race theory. And it is, 
hostile in a lot of ways that I've seen to biblical Christianity. So the you know when we say what we've said on this show many many times, American evangelicalism is not Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity. American evangelicalism needs a massive reformation to be biblical Christianity. And I think what we see happening with entities like the Gospel Coalition is representative of what we're seeing in an American evangelical culture at large. So that would be, as you say, I think a good example of a parachurch ministry that's not a sound ministry. So when we when we kind of step beyond that and they say big Eva, what do we mean by that? Well, within big Eva, you have a lot of high profile evangelicals. Maybe they're people that are kind of like mm, the heads of uh, things like the Gospel Coalition. Uh, maybe people like former head of the evangelical uh, rights and uh, even ethical rights and. Le- Liberty Council, ERLC, am I saying that right? Uh, the former head of that, which was um, uh, uh, Russell Moore for the SBC. Uh, people like um, Tim Keller, high-profile preacher, but uh, more than just a preacher, he, he has had a, a lot of cultural engagement and is uh, kind of speaks as a figurehead for evangelicalism. So when we start saying things like Big Eva, we're talking about those names and those entities that have kind of the spotlight. They're kind of the go-to people that even if the news wants to talk to, to talk about something, they'll often reference them. So Russell Moore or Tim Keller, oftentimes you'll see their names come up even on secular news media, for example. Uh, people like Beth Moore, who has uh, been a subject of this particular program more than once, who used to be SBC but has now become Anglic- Anglican. She is a high-profile evangelical and, um, well, used to be an evangelical, now she's Anglican, but she's a high-profile Christian that has had a lot of influence in not only the Christian church at large, but even in uh, secular culture as well. So when we start talking about that, we're talking about those individuals that are kind of the figureheads, the the big names that people uh, immediately go to, the massive following, and they are the ones that kind of picture themselves um, as speaking for and really needing to be the guide of evangelicalism in America. And I can say that with actually a, a fair amount. I wish I could have read the article, but hey, New York Times, uh, you know, quit putting up a paywall for, for an article you share. Um, but there was an article and I, I saw some of the interaction with the article and this bothers me. I wanted to read this before the show, but there was an article in the New York Times, an opinion piece where they refer to a lot of these big names, people like Russell Moore and stuff, as the dissidents, those who are, uh, those people who are trying to, as the headline put it, save evangelicalism from itself. So uh, this is what we mean by Big Eva. Those individuals, those, uh, you know, the the Tim Kellers, the Russell Moores, the Beth Moores, the Gospel Coalition, uh, people like Tabidi Anyabwile, etc., who are trying to speak not only to the church, but to the culture at large, as though they are the mouthpieces and the guides of the Christian church in America. So, Rich, would you say that's probably a, a halfway decent way of explaining that? Yeah, that was that was really good. Okay. Um, I would add that most of these big names, if you read and do enough research, you will find that they're not trying to use the Bible to guide culture, but they have allowed culture to infiltrate mm-hmm. the church, and they're allowing culture to dictate to the church 
what it should and should not be teaching. And all of those people that you named would are vehemently opposed to those that are teaching biblical Christianity, such as R.C. Sproul or John MacArthur, Bodie Bachman, some of these other ones that stand firm on the Word of God, regardless of what it will cost them, whether it's a book sale or speaking engagements or whatever else. And there's a distinct difference between the two. Now, there are leaders within biblical Christianity, and, and that those men that are named would be some of those names, even though R.C. Spohl is now passed mm-hmm. away from us. But those would be the leaders within the biblical Christian area that are truly grounded in what the Bible teaches. They're not worried about what the culture is telling them mm-hmm. they should teach. They've always been more concerned about telling others about what the Bible actually teaches. Mm-hmm. And that's a distinct difference between what's going on in the name of American evangelicalism today. Because if you read some of the, whether it be secular or Christian-based articles, or faith-based, as it's called nowadays, which is a faith based on anything but the Bible, <laughs> but when, when we talk about American evangelicalism, most of these people are including anyone that claims the name of Christ, whether it be Catholic, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, um, charismatic heavy-leaning churches, Pentecostal-leaning churches, Presbyterian, Southern Baptist, Free Will Baptist, any of the other adjective Baptists or adjective Presbyterians, any and everything that is taught in America that claims Christ, they include under the umbrella of American evangelicalism because for the most part, these people think, well, if they're talking about Christ, they're doing service to the church, they're helping the church. And that is not what the Bible teaches, as we will show here in just a little bit. Right. And so uh, when we're talking about that, and I want to make a distinction. When we say Big Eva, there is a distinction between, and something you just said, Rich, that I think is important. I think when when we talk about Big Eva, we're talking about people who are not only well-known, but actually see themselves and posit themselves as leaders within the evangelical movement where when you when you talk about people like R.C. Sproul uh, you know, and, and people like John MacArthur and others, these were individuals, these are individuals that are well known and have no problem speaking to the culture at large but and speaking to the church, but they are not positioning some, themselves or seeing themselves as as leaders of evangelicalism. Rather, they see themselves as servants of the church and they use the platform that God has given them to to uh, to preach and influence for the specific purpose of pointing people back to Christ, not to influence culture. You know, even though they recognize that as you pre- preach the gospel and as you preach the truth in the culture, it, the culture can be impacted. They aren't just trying to go, "Hey, let's just make the the culture uh, so much you know so much like us," but rather we are going to preach the truth, and God will do what He's going to do as a result. So I, I think that's a very important distinction because when you listen to what they do, and and even though they are, you know, speaking, you know, uh, earnestly, and they're speaking powerfully, 
Uh, they're not trying to be, hey, you need to listen to us. Rather, their attitude is you need to listen to the word of God. And I think that's one of the big differences. And I think it's something that we need to be aware of. So it, just something I wanted to kind of make that distinction. So I wanted to kind of start with, you know, there's there's three different incidents that have happened in, in recent uh, in, in, in the recent weeks. And I, the first one I wanted to start with, which was kind of the one, I, at least in my opinion, really got a lot of attention uh, and really kind of started a firestorm, uh, but in a very different way. Um, for those who don't, you know, may not be aware, there is a uh, a writer from Daily Wire. Now, Daily Wire, think Ben Shapiro. That's kind of his big news uh, website. It, in fact, it's even branching out, starting to make uh, uh, films. Apparently, they just released one this week. Um, but Megan Basham is a is a writer for Daily Wire, so obviously a conservative writer, uh, cons- you know, politically conservative, but also an evangelical, and she writes a lot of religious stories for Daily Wire, and she wrote a story. Now, the link that I'm going to put in the show notes is not the Daily Wire link because. The Daily Wire link, you have to be part of the, um, uh, looking at it here, it's the Reader's Pass, I think is what it's called. And it's like a few bucks a month to be part of the Daily Wire you know, uh, service where you get access to a, a, a great majority. Well, I'm, I'm not a member of that. But Megan was actually very kind on Twitter today because I'm like, ah, I had this bookmark, but now it's behind a paywall. And she, she was very kind. She actually found another place where that same article is hosted called... Illinois Family Institute, uh, IllinoisFamily.org. As Megan said, she hopes they have permit. They had permission to share this. I sure hope so too, because that's the only place I could read it in its entirety. Because I had actually read some of this, and then at some point, Daily Wire put it into that reader pass. So um, the article was titled "How the Federal Government Used Evangelical Leaders to Spread COVID Propaganda to Churches." Now, my interactions, uh, it she. She actually follows me on Twitter. I follow her. I've had some interaction with Megan Basham. I know a lot of people that within our circles that have a lot of interaction with her. I will not say with any certainty to what extent her of her you know her profession of faith is. I'm not going to say she's 100% solid or anything like that. What I have seen is she seems to be a fairly solid individual who takes her faith seriously, but she's also a political conservative and writes as a political conservative. So... That's that's my caveat to Megan Bashan. Uh, but this article talks about those kind of big Eva names, people like Ed Stetzer and Russell Moore and uh, um, Saddleback, uh, Rick Warren, all of these individuals who platformed a particular individual by the name of Francis Collins. Francis Collins is the director of the National Institutes of Health. So... If you, uh, if you if if you know the name Anthony Fauci, you think National Institute of Health. So Francis Collins is kind of the head over at at NIH, and he was the one that went to evangelical leaders. So while Fauci was going to the to the the secular political institutions and he was going to the major news medias, Francis Collins was the individual going to evangelical leaders, and and. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's a fairly lengthy article, but to give you kind of the snapshot of the article, Megan Basham does a good job lining out how 
so many people like Ed Stetzer and as I said, uh, you know, uh, da, 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 Joe, Joe Carter and uh, the people at Gospel Coalition, Russell Moore, Rick Warren, uh, Tim Keller, all of these individuals were involved in platforming Francis Collins. And the reasons Francis Collins was platformed as somebody to listen to during the entire COVID pandemic on issues of things like the vaccine and masks and, and, and whether we should open or close churches, etc., is he is a professing Christian. And so he was not only promoted as a professing Christian, but he was also supposed to be pro-life. And so this was an individual, I think it was Ed Stetz, or no, I think it was Rick Warren that said, this is a man you can trust. So she goes through a lot of uh, time to explain how over and over and over again, Collins was not only platformed, but basically everything he t said was taken as gospel. There was no real questioning of it. And there was no real questioning of his profession of faith or that he was a pro-life uh, you know, uh, Christian. Ms. Basham does also a very good job of taking apart that premise that uh, you know that Francis Collins is the individual he's being presented as. She explains the the issues that with NIH that he has helped secure funding for, or that he, you know, guided them into doing, or was in charge when these things were were going on. Things like the harvesting of organs from aborted full term babies, the the uh, grafting of infant scalps onto lab rats. I, rem I remember when that became uh, came out. A lot of people were very upset. Well, Francis Collins was part of that. Um, he was, uh, you know, he's done things like, uh, you know, in, in, uh, brought in uh, social justice oriented policies into into the NIH. He was, uh, in, you know, when the Trump administration shut down fetal research and, and, and trying to harvest organs, he was like, no, I, I, I think we should be able to do that. But the White House disagrees. <clears throat> he's also uh impl you know in, in putting in policies for the you know social justice equality type stuff they have actually granted uh he put out grants uh for you know uh diversity equity inclusion tests and stuff like that they've put out grants for lgbtq uh you know or, or related uh programs They've, uh, he's actually identified himself as an ally of the gay and trans movement. Um, he's under his watch. The NIH launched a new initiative to specifically direct funding to sexual gen sexual and gender minorities. Uh, again, grant, uh, putting out millions of dollars in grants and transgender research. This is all under his watch. And so, uh, I'll let you read the entirety of the article, but I, this is what she did. And she did a very good job. De demonstrating that Francis Collins and and Anthony Fauci were presented as these never to be questioned individuals, but it, but we we have since learned over time. I mean, they were saying, oh, you know, you have to take the vaccine because you know Francis Collins is telling them you have to take the vaccine because you're loving your neighbor. You have to wear a mask because it's the most effective way to love your neighbor. Um, and they would you know they would say things like. No, no, there's no way that this ha was grown in a lab. This happened entirely on its own. It, this was a, as a result of nature. And then more information has since come out to include that both uh, Collins and Fauci not only had information that this probably did come from the Wuhan lab, but they themselves were t seeking to uh, you know, connect with people to suppress that theory when uh, additional uh, 
questions and research uh, statements were being made about the uh, you know the efficacy of what was being done to treat and to deal with the COVID pandemic, they were jumping in and saying we've got to shut this down and we've got to have strong statements against this. So more and more, it's come out that Francis Collins is not only questionable in his his practice of, of what he claims to be the Christian faith, but also has actively suppressed information and tried to uh, hide information or put under the label of conspiracy theory things that have since more and more become revealed to be uh, to be true or at least very likely to be the case. And as she points out in this article, that that leaves a really big question. Why was this individual platformed? Why was this individual given unrestricted access to the uh, evangelical church and nobody was asking these questions? And as these questions started to come up, why has nobody stepped up to say, we maybe should have rethought that. Maybe we're going to distance ourselves. You know, we shouldn't have, we should have been a little bit more uh, forward and, and asking and clarifying, but nothing's happened. <clears throat> and she's actually reached, she states in this article, she's reached out to try and talk to these individuals. They themselves are, have not responded. And the sad truth of the matter is, since the publishing of this article, she, as an, a journalist, was on a Zoom call waiting to interview Francis Collins on another matter. They left her sitting on the Zoom call, expecting him to show up saying, oh, he's running late, and then just ended the call and said, oh, we can't do it now. And then later, what they basically said was, well, we weren't entirely sure you weren't going to ask difficult questions, essentially. So Francis Collins didn't want to be interviewed by her because of this article. This article has come out. A lot of big-name evangelicals have basically don't want to talk to her. And so it goes out, and it's a really good set of questions. Why did an individual who's actively suppressed information who has put out information that was questionable at best, things like the masks, who uh, you know labeled under conspiracy theory things that have since proven to be, or at least sh shown to be likely true. Why was this individual platformed by big evangelical names? Well, the interesting thing about this, Rich, is that in response to that, do you think that the big evangelical names have come out and addressed the content of her article? Well, of course not. If anything, they came out and tried to discredit any questions that she asked to begin with. Exactly. And that's exactly what has happened. In fact, just today, I saw individuals from uh, you know the Gospel Coalition, specifically uh, Joe Carter and um, <clears throat> Justin Taylor, took to task not the content of what she wrote about, but one particular issue where Joe Carter, who is an editor over at uh, Gospel Coalition, and by the way, Joe Carter admitting today on Twitter, he's shutting down his Twitter account because he he admits he's gotten pretty ornery with Christian, Christians who question him. Um, he likened, he, she, she puts in the article that Carter had made a connection between the Wuhan lab leak theory and you know, crazy QAnon conspiracy theories. Now, he didn't specifically say, if you believe this, then that. But she, he drew the link, and I remember that because I remember when it came out, a lot of people were pretty upset with Joe Carter. And Joe Carter went on the defensive, and then <clears throat> Joe De uh, Carter got into a lot of arguments with people online, and then Joe Carter did what Joe Carter always does. After he's done arguing, he deletes everything he wrote. <laughs> so, um, but... So they took her to task saying, well, you've claimed this and you and you told us you were going to update that. And that's what they were arguing about. 
not whether Francis Collins uh, and, and uh, was suppressing information, whether he was uh, a questionable in his practice as supposedly being a professing Christian, but this one line in the article. So casting doubt on uh, Megan Basham and by proxy casting doubt on the article. Another thing that came up is a, uh, a political radio show host and, a, and, and a, apparently a very smart individual because he has an MDiv uh, from, uh, I think it's Reformed Theological Seminary, <clears throat> a gentleman by the name of Eric Erickson. Yes, that's his name. That's what it says. It's, yes, that's his name. Wrote an article fa- uh, regarding the, the Francis Collins article. And a portion of that article was picked up by Justin Taylor and put on the Gospel Coalition website. Interestingly, it wasn't the first part of the article that he wrote that was put on the uh, website. It was the latter part of the article, and that was the one that got everybody's attention. And in that latter part of the article, uh, and, and by the way, the first part of the article is uh, is Mr. Erickson saying, look, Miss um, Basham wrote a pretty powerful article. Yeah, it was pretty rude of Collins to cut off that interview and basically lie, and he should have he should have did that interview. Um, yeah, there's some pretty concerning things here, and so he kind of makes this case of Francis Collins is a professing Christian over a secular institution. So would we rather have a a person friendly to Christianity over this institution where these things are happening, or would we want someone hostile to Christianity over? And that's kind of his argument. Um, the latter part of it was, um, he basically says, can you all just start playing nice? Uh, he, he says, I see a lot of common condemnation of evangelical leaders working for Collins. Personally, I think they probably saved a lot of lives. He's, um, he's talking about how there's been a lot of, of this use of Megan Basham's article to kind of take... Sh- uh, <coughs> take fire or play, you know, give fire to big Eva. And he's like, we, he's, and, and he puts it in here. He says in here, but there's another angle to this. We're seeing a realignment within the evangelical right now with some derisively called big Eva spending way, way too much time lecturing the evangelicals on their faults. I tread carefully here because I have friends in this camp who I love dearly, but can you all just give it a bit of a rest? Maybe spend a few weeks going after the wokes instead of constant chastisement against a whole bunch of people who have been nothing but chastised by the media and cultural elite for the past four or five years. Um, you know, female friends in this camp, can you speak up for against the normalization of transgender girls becoming boys, boys getting girls sports? And so, and then he's all concurrently, can those of you who blast Big Eva maybe recognize they aren't the enemy and instead of spending all your time attacking prom- prominent evangelicals, you uh, you you feel like wounded you or the faith, actually try exercising some grace. So his whole entire article is, hey, we need to stop fighting with one another. Now, I'm not going to say that there aren't some good points in that, Rich. I mean, we've we've lamented sometimes about how there's been a lot of infighting within the, uh, the Christian church, especially online. We've talked about on this program before how we need to kind of watch how we speak, how we respond to people, listen before we uh, we, we go on the attack, etc. <clears throat> so I'm not going to say that everything he says in there is wrong. But this is what I found very interesting, Rich, and this is what the kind of the point I want to make here. You have a very important article that for the last two years, high-profile evangelicals profiled a man 
who supposedly is a professing Christian, but has some very glaring practice issues with regard to his faith and suppressed information that Christians had concerns about. This is brought to the attention of, uh, of the reading public. And the response is, hey, can we play nice? And I find that interesting, Rich, because do you recall anybody, whether it was Gospel Coalition, uh, an Eric Erickson, or anybody else, when the 2020 elections were going on and people like Beth Moore, Russell Moore, and everybody else, David French and others screaming Christian nationalism to anybody who thought even thought of uh, voting for, say, Donald Trump? Well, we did actually did an episode on that simple truth that these among the big, big Eva, how silent they remained mm-hmm. during that election because, you know, they didn't like mean Trump mm-hmm. and, you know, they wouldn't endorse Trump. They didn't endorse Biden, but they surely came after Trump with everything they could possibly think of to attack him and his supporters thus paving the way for Biden and all of his mm-hmm. ungodly, unholy, secular ways of thinking. And now Big Eva is being brought to task again over supporting someone who basically is a Biden lackey just because they claim to be a Christian, not realizing that, especially in a big-name, big-profile position— and, and some of these are pastors over mega churches with multiple locations. And as Christians, we are called to examine those among professing Christians. Actually, the Bible even takes it one step further and says that, and gives out a list and says, if this supposed brother is practicing any of these things, cast them away from you. Mm-hmm. And some of those things, and I'm sorry, I don't have that scripture reference in front of me. But some of these things you just nailed on that this this gentleman either supports or turns a blind eye to. So the first question is, is this person actually a real Christian or not? And that's the next problem. They tell everyone and they teach everyone, don't doubt anybody that proclaims to be a Christian. That's not loving. You're not showing grace by questioning whether they're actually in the faith or not, which is actually counter to what scripture teaches us that you know we're we're not to be friends with the world you know we are to associate with people in the world we're not to be friends with those people in the world and have close ties and close associations being unequally yoked with unbelievers but we're also to question anyone that names the name of Christ their definition of grace is just go along with whatever we say, and if you disagree with it, just stay quiet. We'll tell you when to speak up about something that you should be disagreeing with, just like with Trump. And this is not just isolated incidences. This has been a pattern over the last couple of decades Mm -hmm. with those under the umbrella of Big Eva. And after a time, a pattern forms and then a habit forms, and now you can see that Almost all of those individuals that would fall under the umbrella of Big Eva have abandoned the true biblical faith and have embraced worldly ideology, secularism, humanism, whatever ism you want to put on it. And they're mixing and blending 
worldly ideologies in with Christianity. And as long as someone's professing to be a Christian, it's all okay because we've got to do everything we can for unity. Mm -hmm. Unity is the prime objective above all things. But biblical unity is unity among true Bible-believing Christians. The Bible never teaches us to seek unity with those outside of the true Christian faith. And if you disagree with me, I challenge anyone listening, open up your Bible and show me one time anywhere in the New Testament where any of the apostles were going to the temple of Artemis or the temple of Aphrodite or the temple of Zeus and sitting down and saying, well, we have these things in common. We can work and build on that and and use these commonalities to grow to an understanding of faith and embrace you know, what they kind of sort of teach that might fall into Christianity. No. Paul told and commanded, turn from these vain idols and these vain ways of thinking. But we see more of Corinth in the world today, especially among American evangelicals, than we do anything else, meaning that during the time in the New Testament of Corinth, when when those epistles were written and Paul was there, Corinth was the center of all different types of religious beliefs and all different types of religion and all these different gods and all these different temples. We have the same thing today in America, but instead of calling the different gods Zeus, Artemis, or whatever, they all are naming the name of Christ, and they're following a false Christ created in their own mind, have abandoned true biblical Christianity because they're more worried about the commercialization of Christianity than they are anything else. And truth be known, you dig down to all these big even names, and they make most of their money from the book sales and speaking Mm -hmm. engagements, and they're not about to abandon anything in order to cut into their profit margins. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's also this love affair with wanting to be seen by the world as the voices the reasonable voices of evangelicalism. Um, I think that spotlight, that that that's when I say these people I see themselves and present themselves as the leaders, as the voices to be heard, as the New York Times opinion article referred to them, the dissidents trying to save Christianity from itself. Um, that's what we're seeing. And when you <coughs> when you see what uh, when you look at Megan Basham's article, she makes a very good point. She even says, "Look, they could have been absolutely right about the the need for the vaccines and 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 uh, and their efficacy, etc. But they have damaged, you know, the the individuals who have supported, or excuse me, Fauci and Collins <coughs> have damaged their credibility because of their uh, suppression of information, because of uh, seeking to actually silence opposition and the outright manipulation." As Christians, this is something we need to be cognizant of and we need to be thinking about We, if we step up and say this is someone to listen to, we need to be thinking about what is this person? Is this someone who claims to be a Christian? If they claim to be a Christian, what is their practice? I grant you that not everybody is going to be, you know, and and I'm not trying to take a a pot shot at Eric Erickson. I, I really don't know the man. He seems like you know, his article is is okay. Uh, I, there are things that I can agree with. Some things I, I adamantly disagree with him on, but it doesn't seem like he's a uh, you know he's 
a, a big even knuckle dragger to you know kind of hit them um, you know to try to lob them some softballs but you know when when I look at what he writes and said and saying things like well wouldn't you want a, a Christian who is in charge of these things and so you know there's going to be areas that we disagree it's like hold on we're not talking about some issues of theological dif- you know minor theological disagree- disagreement we're talking about a man who says he's pro life but doesn't agree life begins at the conception we're talking about a man who prote- says professes to be a christian but is an ally of something that is an abomination in the eyes of god so you know we've got christians who aren't willing to ask those questions and We've got people like Justin Taylor taking the second half of this article where, uh, you know, Eric Erickson is saying, hey, we all need to play nice and putting that on TGC. And basically that's their response to a hard hitting article that should be causing us to ask questions. Why? Because they platformed this guy. They don't want to look bad. They want the attention and the applause of the world to be seen as the individuals who are trying to make Christianity relevant to the world at large. And so you've got not only, as you say, the financial aspect of this, but you also have the the um, being friends with the world aspect that I believe is a big problem when we look at Big Eva as an entity. This is what's happening. So, okay, we look at this one and we say, okay, that's, that's one issue. You know, that, 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 that's one thing that maybe wasn't handled well. Okay. Let, go ahead, hey, brother. Um, I don't know which one you were going to next, mm-hmm. but we've only got about 10 or 15 minutes left. So go to the issue about modesty and let's save the other discussion <laughs> and, uh, maybe for next okay. episode, because it's, it's, it has some very deep implications I yes. think we really need to address. And I think in the next 15 minutes or so, we can deal with the modesty issue. Right. So, okay. This one is, is bound to create some heartache. <laughs> and understandably why. So, a uh, pastor on Twitter by the name of... And, and Brian, I hope I get your last name right. I, I'm sensitive to mangled last names. Honholz. Gee, I, I wonder why that is. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's I think it's Brian Sav. S A U V E. Brian posted, I think, what was really not not an unreasonable tweet. But when it comes to the issue of modesty, especially when it comes to how women adorn themselves, you might as well just scream grenade because it's going to explode. And that's what happened with Brian Sav. But I don't think any of us would have expected what happened. Brian posts an article that, or puts a uh, tweet out, that, and he's a pastor saying, essentially, ladies, you need to be mindful of what you're wearing. You shouldn't be parading yourselves in you know, bikini, and he's speaking specifically to Christian women, bikinis, bras, etc., posting these pictures online, uh, whether it's your weight loss journey, your, your recovery from your, your pregnancy, your fitness goals, whatever it is. Um, why? Because you don't want to stumble your brothers, right? I don't think that's an unreasonable uh, post. Why? Let's just lay some groundwork. Number one, men, before we say anything else, you need to watch uh, where your eyes go. Okay, I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't care what anybody is wearing or not wearing. If you look at a woman with any kind of lust, I don't care if she's dressed in a head-to-toe burlap sack, and you have lust in your heart, you have sinned. It ain't her fault. It's yours. Let's make sure that's really, really clear. Get your eyes 
on Christ, get your eyes in the Word, get your thoughts focused on the Lord, and control where your mind and your eyes go. If you are looking at anybody, and it stimulates something in your mind or in your loins that should not happen, repent. Okay? Let's make that really, really clear because what we say next is going to be completely, what I just said is going to be completely ignored. Number two, ladies, the scriptures are clear. You are to present yourselves not in a way that draws attention to your personal appearance, but rather in that chaste and uh, chaste and holy uh, appearance of a woman who greatly loves the Lord and seeks to obey him. So when you are told how to adorn yourself, not with costly jewels and hairstyles and 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 face coverings, etc., but rather in a manner that is that, that this chaste, loving obedience to God. It's about how you are being seen, and how you present yourself. I want to add something right there. Uh huh. Um, this is completely forgotten most of the mm-hmm. time in these discussions. When Paul wrote those. <coughs> wrote about Mm -hmm. those issues in the epistles, especially in the cities and in the environment it was written. Um, You got to remember, this was not a society like you would think of in in like early America where, you know, women are got to have on a dress from the bottom of their neck all the way down to their ankles. This is a, was a really, really perverse society, Mm -hmm. even more so, than we what we see today and the women in that culture dressed at times even more provocatively excuse me my tongue is taking a (laughs) moment off but dressed even in a more alluring way than a lot of women in today's world does Mm -hmm. when paul wrote those commands about how women should dress it was not he was not addressing women in a culture that were wearing, you know, veils over their faces and and covered from head to toe. He was dressing women that came out of a society Mm -hmm. that dressed, I'm trying to think of a tactful way to put this. They, they dressed like you would see in some very, very R rated Mm -hmm. television shows today. Yeah. And even in that culture, clothing on certain parts of a woman's body were not even worn. I mean, it was very, very, very a visually seductive, lust-filled society. And women today, I've seen this commented, well, women back then were already dressed like this or this or this, and they were just talking about not wearing too much jewelry or not showing how much money you have or, you know, doing your hair. No, There, there were some very specific things going on in the city of Corinth that would make today's most liberal city look like the most conservative. I mean, this was a very, very, very perverse society Mm -hmm. and culture. I just want to make that clear so people really, truly grasp what the culture was like when Paul wrote that in his epistles. Right. And, and, and let's just, you know, let's, let's go. It's, you know, we're talking, I think second Timothy. Yeah. Or no, first Timothy two, two, nine, where he says, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. So, mind mind you, he's not saying it can't look nice. He's just saying respectable, with modesty and self-control. Okay? What All is right. he... Hold on. Oh, go ahead. I just want to ask this question. 
stop and ask yourself right now, respectable to who? Mm -hmm. Paul said in a respectable manner, mm -hmm. respectable to who? Right. To yourself and to your opinions, to your brothers in Christ, or before your holy God. Right. Because he says, goes on to say, not with braided hair gold, or in gold or pearls or costly attire. Now, respectable apparel. You know, you're, you're, you're dressing in an appropriate manner. You're dressing modestly. You're not dressing in such a way that you're drawing a lot of attention to who? Yourself. But with, and, and then he says, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So the attention should be drawn to not yourself, not your physical appearance, not how amazing you look or how much you can reveal, but rather for women who have professed godliness. In other words, what you should be seeing is that you care more about your stance before the Lord than how, how great you look. Okay. So the reason that's important is there are a lot of people who went berserk and I mean, berserk poor Brian. I mean, and I'll tell you something. Pastor, you handled it fantastic. I, I would have shut down my account. This man got slammed from everyone. And apparently some some people who were so offended by his commentary about how, what you shouldn't wear sent him as proof of how terrible a thing for him to say, apparently sent him very pornographic imagery. Cursed him in, in ways that would make a tr trucker blush. Now, what does that have to do with Big Eva? Well, in a now-deleted tweet, a particular high-profile, once evangelical, but still a name within evangelicalism, Beth Moore, <coughs> replied with this, Dude, there is no world in which we ever want to see the word bra from you again. Mine your unders. A very chastising, very harsh, and condemned in the hurry response. Why is that important? Because Beth Moore, just back in 2008, which has made the rounds today, if you've not seen it on Twitter, you can find it. Tom Buck was uh, one. Uh, it was uh, Gabe Hughes from a What also shared it. From 2008, and I'm sorry, I'm going to take issue with how she presented herself today. Um, Beth put out two tweets today. I'm going to put this right here. I'm not a fan of immodesty. Stop right there. 2008, Beth Moore had a uh, video, or had, there's a video of her speaking to women in which she very clearly states, keep your breasts to yourself. Okay, she's not talking about, this is not a, not a fan of immodesty. She said something that was not all that different from Brian. She actually very astutely observed that there are women who specifically dress in a certain way to get a reaction from men. She talked about how women will come to her and say, I just wish they understood what they were doing. And Beth's response is, oh, they know what they're doing. You can find this video. It's not that hard to locate. Okay. So that in 2008 versus 2022, Massive de response difference. Beth Moore, not somebody I would say go do a Bible study on even from 2008, but stating what the Bible was pretty clear about and very rightly stating women 
have a responsibility and a duty to honor God in their manner of dress. Just as men have an absolute duty to keep their mind on Christ and not on their animal passions. Okay? Okay. One thing. Mm -hmm. I agree with everything you said. And yes, men should keep their eyes in their head and keep them to themselves. Mm -hmm. But there's a huge difference between a Christian man <coughs> going to a beach knowing that mm -hmm. there are going to be bikinis parading about versus a pastor standing in the pulpit preaching to the congregation having to stare at the door in the back of the room because he can't help but notice mm -hmm. the way some women are dressed and the amount of cleavage they're showing sitting on the front row. I know preachers that have had to do this because the women in that church or visiting that church were dressed in such a way that he had to keep his eyes focused as hard as he could away. Because sometimes the way some of these women dress, no matter how hard you avert your eyes, it's going to jump out. Absolutely. And they want it to jump out because they're dressing like that on purpose. Either that or they just don't care or have never been taught some of these biblical truths. And sadly, in today's age, the older women of the church congregations have failed to teach the younger women like the Bible commands. <laughs> and in today's world, it's dress whatever way you like, whatever makes you feel comfortable, you know, do whatever you want to do. It's not your fault if a man looks at you. Well, yes, it is, because in the Bible, back when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said, in this world, temptations will come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes, meaning you're not only held responsible for the sin you commit, you're also held responsible for the sin that you lead others into committing. Mm -hmm. So women, yes, it's the man's duty to keep his eyes to himself, but it's also your duty in the way that you dress and present yourselves to other men to see to it that you're not leading them into sin. Now, men can lead women into sin just mm -hmm. as well by the way that they dress, but it's just strange. You never see a man standing, well, I guess you, in nowadays you can't necessarily <laughs> say that, but, you know, rarely do you see a man showing up at church in a tank top, flaring and pumping his muscles and biceps, wearing shorty shorts. Right. You see that with women. There's a big difference. And and, 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 I'll, and I'll echo what you said and also what my our, our good friend Chris Huff said. Men, stop posting pictures of yourselves with no shirt on, flexing your muscles, your weight loss journey, your fitness goals, etc., you know, in the same way that men, men can be tempted to look at something they ought not because it's right there, women have, can have the same issue. So men, you need to dress in a modest way as well because you are not to be a stumbling block to your sisters either. So I, I absolutely agree with that, Rich. And that that's the thing. Beth Moore in 2008 made it clear, ladies, you know what you're doing. That's She said this. You Again, I'll link it in the. I'll find. Uh, I'll find Tom Buck's thing or, or Gabe Hughes' tweet. But the video is there. You can listen to it yourself. She's very clear. Okay, she is being very direct about women's apparel and the impact that it has and the knowledge that women have in doing so. Okay, again, this is not objectifying women. I, we're talking about what a high-profile evangelical who no longer calls herself an evangelical, said in 2008. What is her response today? She says, What I am simply completely cre creeped out by is... Humber uh, uh, excuse me. What I, am, what I am is simply 
completely creeped out by hyper-fundamentalist dudes objectifying women and telling that women in detail how not to dress in pictures so that we unrighteous crudes don't make these righteous dudes stumble. Stop. Full stop. That is not what she has an objection to. What she has an objection to is she's playing to her crowd who was very upset with Brian Sov who's for saying women ought not to dress in, a, in this manner. That's what she's no, upset what, with. Uh, go ahead. No, what, she, what she's upset about is the biblical mandate to rebuke, to exhort, mm-hmm. to admonish, to correct, to teach. She objects to the fact that these so-called hyper-fundamentalists, as she puts it, tell her that she biblically cannot be preaching. Yes. She still takes issue with anyone that tells her anything <laughs> If it comes from a man, she takes exception to any man that tells her she can't do something she wants to do, period. It's her pride. It's her own wanting to exalt herself in her own mind, in her own image, in her own word, above what the Word of God actually says. Amen. Exactly true. And just to finish up what she says, as some of you... As some of you try to spread around how much I have changed, please keep this in view. My faith in Jesus and my love for Scripture haven't changed one iota. We've talked about that. Uh, she morphs to whatever will promote her brand. My faith in in hyper-fundamentalist men has... All right, let's stop right there. What Brian said is no different than what she said in 2008. She said, and I quote, to women, keep your breasts to yourself. Brian said, please don't be wearing bras, bikinis, etc., in other words, don't be putting yourself out there. No difference between these two tw- these two statements. Neither one. They're the same. Well, you know, now, oh, uh, nowadays, and I, thankfully, I've never come across it in a church, but I'm sure it happens. You know, sports bras have become a fashion accessory nowadays where women wear them out in public just mm-hmm. like they would a tank top. Yep. You know, I should never know what a woman's belly button looks like except my own wife's <laughs> belly button, much less somebody that attends church <laughs> and... I should never know what amount of cleavage a woman is prepared to reveal in public. Don't disagree with you at all. So she says, my faith in hyper-fundamentalist men has. I've seen what I cannot unsee in the last five years. I just simply no longer believe you. Okay, what is it she no longer believes? What she's trying to say is that Brian Sov and others like him are these terrible misogynistic men. That how dare you objectify women... Because obviously we're the problem, right? I guarantee you, Brian Sav has no problem telling men, you have a responsibility to honor God with your thoughts, with what you look at, and what you do. This is the thing. What she is upset about is that a man dared to say it. That's what she's saying. She's referring to anybody that says what she said in 2008 how dare you man say this? And I can tell you the reason I, I can watch that happen is I've watched every person who responded to her, every person who got involved in these arguments, all had the same response. Men have no right to tell what women what uh, women what they can wear. It's your fault if you sin. And by the way, yes, it is. And it's you are saying we are the terrible people. So therefore, how dare a man tell a woman and basically what they've said is that a woman cannot sin if she has rejected what Beth Moore herself said, if she has rejected God's commandment to be 
uh, you know, in modest apparel, presenting themselves, at, at adorning themselves with godliness and good works, not adorning themselves in a way that draws attention to themselves, but rather draws attention to Christ and their obedience and their love for Christ. That was what Beth Moore said in 2008. It is not what she is saying in 2022, and she is not being honest when she said her views have not changed. She absolutely has said so because there's no difference between what she said then and what Brian said today. Why is this a big Eva issue? Well, for example, going back to some of those big Eva names like David French, he's one of those uh, you know, high-profile Christian journalists who has uh, was kind of seen as a conservative, uh, you know, friend. And, and it was, you know, uh, very, uh, you know, one of those people that we really liked what he wrote and he really wrote powerfully. And he was, uh, you know, a friend to the Christian church. He was a friend to, uh, conservative politics. And then Trump got elected and he became a vile anti-Trumpist. And anyone who says anything that he perceives as being, uh, in, in favor of Trump, um, he has, repeatedly cast aspersions on much of the conservative Christian church. Well, what did, uh, what did David French say? 100% agreement with her. So what do we have? Beth Moore, who still has a lot of pull and influence in the culture and in the, in the Christian church, being trumpeted by yet another big name in, in evangelicalism, David French, as saying, how dare Christian men say exactly what she said in 2008? by telling women they need to honor God in their behavior, in this particular instance, about their manner of dress. This is why, and I, Rich, you're right, we're going to have to go on to the, uh, the, the uh, we'll, we'll tip our hand a little bit, Stephen Colbert uh, issue. We'll cover that a little bit next week. But the reason this is important, so let's wrap this into our, our final thoughts for this part of the, uh, this part one here. You have two recent incidents which are symptomatic of an ongoing issue. Rich, you, you yourself talked about this is this these are not isolated incidents. Big Eva, this this kind of evangelical machine, these individuals who kind of see themselves as the voices for Christianity in culture at large, who are more concerned with how Christianity is perceived, want to rescue it from itself, and uh, be able to make it relevant to the the culture at large. Um, as some would say, they typically lean left and punch right, meaning that they lean to the left, embracing the things of the world. Punch right mean punch against those who are on the right side of the political or uh, religious spectrum. And these are individuals who, when it they feel it will benefit them and gain them ground with the culture that they believe is kind of the dominant culture of the time and, and is kind of going to be what needs to, you know, we don't have to worry about making ourselves friends with the, you know, the political and religious right. We just expect it, um, but we need to, we need to lean to the left and bring, and draw these individuals in. So they will lean that way and they will bring people in that they will they believe gives them leverage gives them influence a la francis collins and the nih and working together with the biden administration on how to get christian churches to basically buy into the biden administration's uh, manner of handling covid and when that is brought up what is their reaction crickets when the issues of this is an individual maybe not as christian as we thought 
crickets. Why didn't you ask questions about this? Crickets. And then if they do respond, it's to say either, oh, these little details over here, okay, maybe the details are important in that particular instance, but it does it take away from the content of the, uh, of the report? No, took no content away whatsoever. <clears throat> oh, well, you know what? Here, we'll, we'll take this portion of this particular um, you know, political you know, a, a radio show host will take this part of his article and plug it into Gospel Coalition and talk about how we all need to get along. Something we never said when when all of our people on our side were saying, "You, how dare you, Christian nationalists, do things like believe January sixth was uh, was anything but uh, an insurrection, or voted for Trump, or believe the uh, the uh, the um, election was stolen." We're going to call you all kinds of names. We're going to talk down to you. We're going to speak down to you. That do do they call for? Let's play nice then? Of course not. They are trying to speak for the church at large. They're trying to speak into the Christian church and tell them how to think and where to go. How and so buy and get buy-in from the, the secular left. But they are silent when they are themselves are caught with their hands in the cookie jar. When a when a high-profile evangelical in 2008 speaks what the Bible actually says, like a uh, you know with a, like a uh, you know broken clock that strikes twice uh, twice strikes correctly twice a day, um, stumbles onto what is true and says it specifically and clearly and and right on point. Yet you know more than a decade later, somebody says the exact same thing, but because it's a man and because it's politically expedient and can buy them uh, you know buy them favor with the culture lambasts that individual individual and, and basically rebukes and almost curses the man and then says, well, I'll pull that down, but this is what I have a problem with. You hyper-fundamentalists, why is she doing that? Because she wants to lean the church in the direction that she's trying to influence it. Why? Because it benefits her. Because it buys her that influence. And as, as Rich, as you pointed out, it buys her uh, more followers, more book sales, more conference speaking engagements. This is why there's a problem with big evangelicalism. Because well, I have a question. Okay. Ahead, I, know, I know we're about out of time, but do you have any indication or definition of hyper-fundamentalists other than maybe those true Bible-believing biblical Christians? I think that's what she calls a, uh, a hyper-fundamentalist. Because the individuals that... Remember, this is the same person that when she saw evangelical Christians supporting Trump, she screamed Christian nationalism. Uh, Christian nationalism. That's what she, she was the first one I recall seeing actually use that term. Anybody actually, that, heard, I, go ahead. If I remember my history studies correctly, it was sometime around the 30s, 40s, maybe mm. the early 50s, that those that were still holding to biblical truths that were biblical Christians, at that time they started becoming called, they started getting called fundamentalists meaning it as a slur mm -hmm. against them. And I think that is still prevalent today in the terminology. When they say fundamentalists, they're not talking about these legalistic churches. They're talking about men and women who still actually believe the Bible and mm -hmm. hold to biblical Christianity. And, and that's what I believe. That's what I believe she defines it as. Because when you call her on things that are biblically true, she gets very offended. She talks about you're a misogynist, a sexist, a bigot, a hyper-fundamentalist, and all these other things. And that's what Beth Moore has done. And people rally to her side, such as David French today. 
the reason I, I believe this is important, why did we do this? So we could pick on all these big EVA types? No, honestly, I'd rather talk about just about anything else. But here's my here's what I, I, I kind of want to leave folks, Rich, with, and we can talk more about it uh, on the next episode, is that parachurch ministries, big EVA celebrity influencers, conferences, etc. Rich, is there anything in Scripture where we are commanded to have these kind of ministries or institutions? Oh, absolutely not. I Bingo. mean, when when done biblically, they can be good mm -hmm. and a useful tool and help with ministries such as AIG and Living Waters. They can uh, they can be a beneficial tool, especially in today's <laughs> age where you know you go to 24 different churches and you may get taught 24 different things. Um, I, I think in today's society, in today's world, parachurch ministries serve a purpose and have a point, and the Lord does use them to help remind the body of Christ about these issues. But biblically, historically, no, they had no place. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things that we could point to that are part of American Christianity today and even solid Bible-believing churches that were not prevalent during the time of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. The question is not necessarily did they do that, but more along the lines of is what we're doing biblical? Does it align with what the Bible teaches? Is it honoring the Lord? Is it proclaiming the actual gospel taught in the Bible? Is it teaching people to discern truth from error? Is it standing against the world and speaking against the world, or is it embracing worldly ideologies and trying to use that in some way and mingle and mix it with, with what the Bible actually teaches? I, I, I don't think it's such a, a clear-cut issue as should we or should we not have parachurch ministries today. I think the question is, what is this parachurch ministry doing, and are they truly honoring the Word of God in the way that they do it? Or are they using it as some type of political, socio-economic platform, which is not biblical, if that makes sense? No, it absolutely makes sense. And, and this is what I want to leave people with. What is Scripture unapologetically describing when it comes to the entity, the, uh, the, well, the, the, the system or the entity that God created. It's the church. It's the local church. You have, you have the invisible church, which is the body of believers uh, throughout all time and, uh, and locations. And you have the local church, which is the local visible expression of the invisible church. All our commandments about the church are about the church. They're not about how a parachurch ministry works. They're not about how big evangelical machine influencers work. They are about the church. Christ's first use of the term church had to do with what? Church discipline. How we interact with one another when a, when a fellow believer sins. It is the local church. What were Paul's commandments to uh, you know the Corinthians about uh, well, except commandments about what was going on in their church. What was Paul's commandments to Timothy and Titus about the church, about the offices and the requirements for those offices in the local church? Everything that we read focuses upon 
Christians who follow, or these followers of Christ who have committed themselves to Christ and their practice within the local church. We are not solo entities. We don't Christian, you know, we don't go out and be Christians, long-range Christians by ourselves. Everything is about this community of believers and all the commandments surround that. So to, to your point, Rich, if we have a ministry that is not specifically under the uh, the control and guidance of a local church, it better at best be subservient to and come alongside as a servant to the local church. Never. Sadly. Oh, go ahead. Sadly, some of these that we've discussed are under the authority of a local church, which is even more disturbing because then they're just parroting what that church actually believes. Um, one one kind of clarification when it comes to not only these high-profile names in Big Eva, and even those of us within biblical Christianity, we're guilty of it at times. We have to look at what Paul told them because he rebuked the church again about their division against who they were following because Paul said, who is Cephas, who is Apollos, who is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, one watered and another, one planted and another watered, and I, I'm butchering the verse because I, I didn't have it, it just popped into my head. But his point was, we are followers, we are believers in Jesus Christ. We're not to elevate that pastor above the Word of God. We're not to elevate that person above Jesus Christ himself. We're not to make an idol out of that pastor. And within Big Eva, that's exactly what is going on. They're making idols out of these men and women. Exactly my point. Thank you for making that so clear. When we see individuals who are not seeking to be servants of the church, but rather trying to be the guides, the leaders, the high-profile people to turn to. And th th that's where they want to be. They're not servants of, but rather they want to be leaders of. That should be a very big warning sign. If you are a ministry that exists outside a local church, or maybe once started and led by a local church, but has now grown into something else, if you do not have the the ideology that you exist not to lead the church, but to serve the church, that should be a very big danger warning sign. And this is what we are watching happen. Entities like Gospel Coalition started off as a resource for the local church, for pastors, written by pastors, to pastors, to churches, to be a resource but now you have individuals that are trying to lead and influence the church rather than being subservient to. And that's how we get things like, oh, oh, um, th this news article about, about, about how big evangelicals kind of either got hoodwinked or didn't care and allowed themselves to be hoodwinked so they could lift up this individual and then go silent and say, hey, play nice when they get caught. That's a result of not being a servant to the local church because you're not willing to be held accountable. When you yourself, as a high-profile evangelical, speak truth about God's word 
and then over a decade later viciously attack another Christian for saying nothing different than what you said because it plays to your base and you can have more influence. You have no business speaking to the church because you're not serving the church. You're trying to lead the church so you can be a name. The church, the local church, under the leadership of the people that God has called, who are qualified, who are equipped, who are humble servants, that's what God uses. That is the entity that God has ordained. We are watching the outworking of what has happened in American evangelicalism when you have a bunch of entities or leaders of entities who believe they don't serve the church, they lead the church. And if you think you lead the church, there's only one leader of the church. And he doesn't share that spot with anyone, people. Rich, uh, before we let everybody go and, and we bleed this into next, uh, into next week, any final thoughts? Well, the problem is a lot of these men are ordained and are pastors, but no one's asking the questions, are they still qualified to be pastors? Are they still qualified according to the Word of God? Are they still preaching firmly on the Word of God? Or, or have they allowed the world to come in and influence what they're saying, what they're preaching, and how they are presenting the Word of God? Because, believe it or not, the Lord actually cares about orthopraxy as much as he does orthodoxy. The way in which we worship and the way we represent Christ means just as much as what we're explaining about Christ. Um, and if you doubt that, just read the Old Testament about how the Lord is jealous over those that are his. Even in the New Testament, there's references to that. So women take exception about women can't be pastors. Well, there's a lot of pastors that are not biblically qualified to be leading, much less some of these high-profile individuals that are heads and, and over these mega churches and, and you know, teaching and preaching some of the things that they're teaching and preaching. And I think a lot of times they have forgotten words that were left for us in the Bible about becoming friends with the world makes us an enemy to God and about standing firm on the truth of the gospel and the warning about not allowing someone to bring a gospel other than what is actually taught in the Word of God. And we'll pick up next week from those closing <laughs> thoughts. Amen. But whatever you do this way, make it a point to proclaim the way of salvation at least once a day. Amen, amen. Thank you, brother. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Folks, again, we spent a lot of time talking about just two incidents, and there's one more that I think, as Rich said, is going to take a little more time to get into next week. This is not to lambast the Big Eva. They do that to themselves. It's important to talk about and lay down what has happened because it is the outworking, the product of an unbiblical institution an entity that doesn't exist in Scripture 
And when we allowed it to have more influence and power than it ever should have been, it has grown into something that is anything but biblical. And it seeks to lead, guide, and influence the Christian church. And if you speak to it and say, you are to serve the church, you are not to lead the church. This is the response. This is what happens. Now, Scripture is clear. These kind of things will continue to exist until Christ's return. So, doing this show isn't going to solve the problem. But what we hope to accomplish, and we'll do more next week, is remind you that when you see this, this is the result of pride and arrogance a self-inflated ego, an overemphasis on one's own importance, rather than humble service to the Lord. Before you get entrenched into some of these camps, ask yourself, why? Why are you supporting this? Why are you involved in this? Why are you listening to them? What is the point? Your first submission, of course, is to Jesus Christ. And he has appointed over you elders, pastors, teachers in your local church. That is where your first service begins. We do not serve these parachurch organizations, nor do we serve and submit to self-proclaimed evangelical leaders who are more concerned with their appearance to the world than they are with submitting to Christ in his local church. That's why we did this. That's why I felt it was important to talk about these. It's easy to get on the bandwagon and talk about how, did you hear what they said? It's more important that we use this as a teaching moment to remind us as Christians, we are not... We are not so important to Christ to accomplish his mission that we get to kind of stand out, lead, and, 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 and make proclamations that are beyond anything that's biblical and try to draw men, unto, men and women unto ourselves. We are to be humble servants. And if the only thing we ever get to do is clean toilets in obscurity to the service of God, that is what we do. And I know the irony of two, two Christians on a podcast speaking to maybe hundreds of people. Hey, listen to what we have to say. I, I, the irony is not lost. But as we have always said, we don't do this for the numbers. We don't do this so that we can end up on speaking engagements. Nobody's beating down our doors to write, have us write books or you know, speak at conferences. And that's fine. That's probably best. Okay. We do it because we believe this is the platform that God has allowed us to do. And quite honestly, there are many times when I myself question whether I should be doing this, and yet God continues to put us in this position. And I don't think it's because we are of such great service to him, or we're somehow so well-skilled and and, and, uh, and necessary. It's, it's because he has taken two busted useless 
messed up pots, chamber pots, and cleaned them up and made them fit for his service in this tiny little slice of the world. And that's what we're here for. And we do so with the knowledge of our churches because we, I, I asked my pastor, is this okay? Is it okay we do this and continue to do this? And they, so far, I have their, their, their willingness to allow me to do it. And I know Rich is in the same boat. If tomorrow I got so out of control that my pastor said, you're done, I don't dare say too bad. I submit. And that's what this should be a, a learning lesson for all of us. These are a bunch of children in dressed up as adults saying too bad when people tell them they need to stop doing what they're doing. Let that be a lesson to us as we go forward, especially when we feel a little self-important. We need to submit to the Lord. And we need to submit to our local churches. So, on that note, we will continue this next week. There is a, a lot more discussion about the third point that we had. Um, because that one was really troublesome. And uh, a lot of big name, high profile evangelicals promoted something they had no business promoting. And when called on it, boy did they dig in. So, uh, we'll talk about that next week. God bless you guys. Thank you for spending time with us. We will talk to you next time. Good night. God bless. We'll see you then. Mm -hmm.